blessing, and it's not so much the song leader, but it was a blessing tonight if you happen to be looking at Kaysen and you saw the enthusiasm with which he was leading and the smile as we were singing about Jesus holding our hand made me think about if you happen to be watching, and I know I'm not going to embarrass him, he's not here tonight, but if we all had the enthusiasm that Obi had this morning on that first song, he understood it. Sing and be happy. Little Obi was very happy this morning, and I appreciate that. Uh, so often we can be singing a song like that, and, you know, if the sky's above your grace, sing and be happy. That's kind of how we look when we're singing it. But Obi understood, and I really appreciated that example from him this morning. From the mouths of babes, we can gain so much. You know, there are people who are afraid of death because they're not certain where they're going. And there are some people who are afraid of death because they are certain, at least they think, of where they're going. But the Apostle Paul knew that he had come to the end of the line, and it's amazing that he faced that with confidence and without fear. Do you see what was read to us just a moment ago in Second Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6, where the Apostle Paul says that I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand? I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give unto me in that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. These appear to be literally the last words that the Apostle Paul is ever going to write so far as inspiration is concerned. And as he speaks about death, which he was imminently facing, It was something that he embraced. I realize that it is a possibility that we can have a false confidence. We could look to eternity and find ourselves or believe ourselves to be prepared when we have not done what our Lord says to do to be prepared. Our Lord is concerned about that so much so that in the greatest sermon ever preached, he draws it to a close by saying, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. That many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name done many wonderful works and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. But our focus tonight is on the faithful Christian. Is it possible for us to live and to face death with a blessed assurance, a confidence that leads us not to be afraid? If we can call on the Apostle Paul to be an example for us in the words that we see here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, then I believe that he shows us some reasons or some ways in which we can find ourselves confident and without fear, facing the worst of the prospects that we might think of in earthly terms. How could Paul be so confident and unafraid? I believe the first reason why Paul was so confident and unafraid in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is because he knew that Jesus was going to be his judge. He says, I'm going to stand before Christ who judges the living and the dead. It is coming and his appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. The relationship that we have with Jesus makes all the difference in whether or not we're anxious to face him. If we've not lived our life prepared for that appointment that all men must meet, then certainly there ought to be fear and trepidation. But the Apostle Paul was looking forward to that time of judgment because he knew that Jesus was going to be the judge. And I think that we can look with confidence for the same reason. 
And some of the reasons why he said that he wanted to stand before Jesus as his judge. He could stand and he wanted to stand before Jesus as his judge because first of all, he knew that Jesus understood him. He understands us. You know, he's going to write about a relationship that's obviously close. And New Testament writers verify this thought that we can be close and we can look at Jesus as one who understands us because of what he came to do. He came to be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God that he might make propitiation for our sins. In that he suffered in what he was tempted, he is able to come to the aid of all who are tempted. We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with or sympathize with our weaknesses but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 50, Jesus came and walked the road of life as a human being, and so he understands what it's like to be us. And so when I stand before him, I'm going to stand before one who has understood and been through what I have been through. But another reason why, and Paul mentions in this text, that he was eager to stand before Christ the judge is because he knew that Jesus was going to be fair. In fact, if you look in verse 8, he calls him the righteous judge. You know, when you think about this thought that Jesus is a righteous, he is a fair judge, by fairness it means that he is not going to be more lenient than he has promised to be. You know, he has left his word for us to know how he wants us to live. And what would that reflect on the perfect character of God if he told us that this is how you must live, but then he was going to allow something better or worse, more lenient or more strict than what he says in his word? If I am not a Christian, when I stand before Jesus in the judgment, he's going to be fair. If I'm a child of God, but I become unfaithful and I stand before him in the judgment, he is going to be fair. But what gives us confidence and hope, if we live as Paul lived, is that as I understand Jesus, who came and lived in my uh, the life as I did and died in my place, he is going to be fair as he looks at my life and sees me striving to walk in the light. Even though I'm going to do that imperfectly, as long as I'm in this body, he is going to be fair. We read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 through verse 9. Because he knows what it's like to be me, he knows as I'm struggling to live in a way that's right, that when I stand before him, he is going to be merciful. He is going to be kind. He is going to be fair. I imagine you have found yourself in the position that most of us have in life. Has anyone ever drawn conclusions about you, thought that they knew all the facts and all the details in the situation concerning you, and they would seem like they were ready and eager to judge you guilty of what it is that you've done? That's not Jesus. Jesus has the benefit of omniscience, of knowing all, and he also has the benefit of being a high priest that's sympathetic. The Apostle Paul could face death confident and unafraid, not only because Jesus understood him, but because he knew that Jesus was going to be consummately fair. But Jesus was one that Paul wanted to stand before also because he had helped him to know what was going to be on the final exam. Jesus says that he is going to, that we, that is those who proclaim the word of God, are to preach the word. 
He has told us exactly what it is that He's going to hold us accountable to. That's why it's important for those of us who preach the Word of God to do so in the way that's balanced, in the way that is done in spirit and in truth. That as we proclaim the Word of God, we're to do so with great patience and careful instruction. Because Jesus says, the Word that I have spoken, the same will judge Him in the last day. John chapter 12 and verse 48. I remember hearing about the little girl who was reading her Bible at school and some of her friends were teasing her about that and they asked her what it was that she was doing. She says, I'm getting ready for final exams. When we think about the end of this life, the Lord has given us everything that's going to be on the finals at the judgment. The Apostle Paul could be confident and unafraid because he knew that Jesus was going to be his judge. And we can be confident and unafraid because the same is true for us that our judge is going to be the one who is described in 2 Timothy chapter 4. But second, I believe that the Apostle Paul could be confident and unafraid because he spent his life doing good. In verse 5, the Apostle Paul gives the template the instructions, the whole life's work of the gospel preacher and what God holds the preacher responsible for. And so the preacher can look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5 and say, what about my mind? What about my endurance? What about my work and my ministry? And so when a preacher gets to the end of his life, he doesn't want to hear, no, that I haven't done these things that we read about in 2 Timothy 4, 5. But it's also true of the Christian. Every child of God in a broader sense must ask, have I kept my mind on those things above? Colossians 3 and verse 1. Have I faithfully endured my trials, my troubles, and my temptations? Have I been a servant? Have I been a faithful worker for Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul could summarize his life and he could say, I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, are you a faithful Christian? Three times over, he could say, I have I am. And so when we look at his life, we see that he was one who was using his life to do good. And the Bible makes it clear that we're not going to earn our salvation by our works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we're familiar with that passage that says we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, but God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in these good works. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. When you look at the Apostle Paul in the first part of his life, he would say that he spent his life not doing good. But from the time of his conversion until the time of his death, he could say that he spent his life doing good. Just walk with the Apostle Paul through those three missionary journeys as he suffers privation, as he's beaten, as he's imprisoned, and see how he spent his life doing good. Or think about what the Apostle Paul could look back on in his service to Christ and say in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that he suffered physically, he suffered emotionally for the cause of Christ and for the church of Christ. Or look at the trials that the Apostle Paul says that he endured in Philippians chapter 1, putting others above himself. You know, none of us are going to ever be able to say that we have done the works of God perfectly. And I suppose that all of us could probably say with the Apostle Paul that there was a time in our life and we did those things of which we are so embarrassed. In fact, maybe you grew up in the church and despite that fact, having known the, the way of righteousness from a child as Timothy did, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, that there are things that you did knowing right from wrong in the body of Christ that you're ashamed of and embarrassed and wish that you had not done. But as we look at the Apostle Paul, we see 
the favor that God showed and the grace that was demonstrated to him, 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 16, for all those after him who would believe. It's an encouragement to us that we can face death confident and unafraid if we'll spend our life doing those works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But then third, I believe that the Apostle Paul was confident and unafraid because he knew that he had a crown waiting for him. The Apostle Paul touches on something that offsets the fear that we have about the future, the anxiousness, the fearfulness that we face when we think about the future and the ultimate future. The Apostle Paul shows us why that it should not be a cause of great concern as we strive to serve him faithfully. Paul talks about the reward that's waiting the faithful. And it's an interesting study to walk through the New Testament and see how this crown is described for us. Crown, which indicates or symbolizes reward and victory. Here, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8 calls it the crown of righteousness. This indicates to us that we will have been made righteous by the righteous one. And so when we consider the nature of that reward, we see it is that which gives us hope because of the righteousness that's conferred upon us. But then in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 25, it's called an imperishable crown. This is an encouragement to us because we live in a land of rust and the moths and thieves, and we don't expect things to last. And the Apostle Paul says he knew that there was waiting for him an imperishable crown. It won't fade away. It won't fall apart. It won't be done away. Now, James calls it the crown of life. And that speaks to something about the nature of the crown and the giver of the crown. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, when we consider that crown that is written about in the New Testament, we also see that it is an unfading crown of glory. Peter's the writer now. He's talking to elders and he says, those that serve faithfully, the chief shepherd is going to give them such an unfading crown. This speaks to the preeminence of that crown versus anything that we might receive in this life. And it's a personal crown. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11, John would call it your crown. It is a crown that is conferred upon us based on our faithfulness and our dedication. But the thing that's an encouragement is that unlike the rewards, the awards that are given on this earth, there's not a limited number. It's not like there's only one or there's just a few for a select group. The Apostle Paul says that the crown of righteousness awaits him, but not only him, but all those who love his coming and his appearing. And so we look at this crown and we see that there's a crown that is waiting for us, a crown of reward. And it makes our perspective about death change completely. Our look at the future be different than what it might be without the prospect that the Apostle Paul is talking about in the deepest, darkest circumstances. You know, it's the difference between Job 14 and John 14. In Job chapter 14, Job would say that man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. And I understand why Job would write that without the benefit of the New Testament. And going through all the difficulties that he went through that we can't imagine the, the, the scope and the magnitude of them. But here's Jesus who is about to go to the cross and he knows it. And as he speaks to his disciples, he changes the perspective in looking at the ultimate end of it all. In John chapter 14, he says that faith will help us to change our troubled hearts. The, the, the Jesus just wants his disciples 
to vest the same trust in him that they had the father. They had had their faith tested so many times and they're going to get it tested some more. And sometimes the more difficult the road of life is, the more we cherish the faith that we have. Faith helps our troubled hearts, John 14, 1 and 2. But it focus also helps our, our troubled hearts. In verse 2 and 3, he wants them to look at the goal, the goal that is set out in front of them. And if we can really see and understand why we're doing what it is that we're doing, we can endure that. If we're clear on why we serve God and we're faithful, we do so, yes, because He's God. You know, I thought about this in preparing this lesson. What if in God and His holiness and His sovereignty were to say to us, I want you to serve me. And in serving me, if you'll serve me faithfully, you will not, you will not be punished eternally. And that was it. We might say that if that was what Scripture says, it might reflect on the goodness of God, but He's the Creator, and He could do whatever it is that He wanted to do, but it's a reflection of His goodness and His kindness that He has a reward, an award that's waiting for those who are faithful. And so Jesus says, focus on the goal that's set before you. The promise of the reunion and the reward, it's greater than you can imagine. But then familiarity will also help our troubled hearts. Verse 4 through 6. You can look at Thomas and see that the disciples are still reeling. You see, you go back to John chapter 13 and verse 36. In the context, Jesus has told them, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. John 13, 36. In verse 38, he tells them that their unofficial leader, Peter, is about to deny him three times. John 13, 38. And then he follows it up with this exhortation, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus is indicating to them that familiarity, understanding that He is the one that provides the direction, I'm the way, the doctrine, the truth, and the destination, the life, helps us when our hearts are troubled. To understand that there is a reward that is awaiting, Paul calls it a crown of righteousness. Back in the early 2000s, Russia was trying to cash in on the growing space tourism business. And they said for $20 million, you could join the California banker, uh, Dennis Tito, or the South African millionaire, Mark Shuttlesworth, and you could get a seat on a rocket going out into space. I don't know if you remember that or not. It's back in the news this year, or at least last year it was. Lance Bass, one of the singers in, I guess he called him a singer, in NSYNC, he decided he was going to be the next in space. And so he went through the rigorous training and went to Russia to, to, to get ready to go into space, but he couldn't raise the money. And so he wasn't able to go. I understand he's trying to do that again. You think $20 million, doesn't that seem like a lot of money for just a joy ride into space? So many are giving up so much more for infinitely less. The Apostle Paul says, for the faithful child of God, there is a crown waiting, a crown waiting for me. And he says, a crown waiting for you. How can we face the future confident and unafraid? How did the Apostle Paul do so? He could do so because he knew that God would be with him. The Apostle Paul is at a very low point in his life. He feels very lonely and isolated and perhaps not a little depressed. And he says toward the end of of the letter, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray that it will not be held to their charge. But the Lord stood with me 
and helped me through me. He proclaimed the unsearchable riches of Christ that all the Gentiles might hear. And he delivered me from the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil deed and shall deliver me into his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Second Timothy chapter four, verse 16 through 18. Paul is in a time of isolation. And so as he's looking at his circumstances as they are, he seems alone. He seems like he has no friend to be with him. Two times in this last chapter, he pleads with Timothy to come and to see him. Verse 9 and verse 21. The Apostle Paul thinks back to companions who have been with him. He expresses disappointment that there were fellow laborers of his who had turned away from him and had gone back into the world. Verse 10. He thinks about and longs to be again with those fellow soldiers with whom he had done battle against the enemies, the spiritual enemy of the devil. Verse 11. He expresses his desire for personal wants and needs in verse 13. And he warns the apostle Paul of a potential spiritual troublemaker in verse 14 and 15. And then he focuses in on this feeling of isolation that he's felt. No doubt as Paul is writing these things, he's writing from a dank and dark prison in which the smell of squalor fills the air. I don't know what all he felt and what he heard when he wrote those words. He scrawls them out by inspiration. But do you see what he says in the midst of all those human companions that seem to be missing in his life? He says, but the Lord was with me. Now, the Lord being with us, verse 17, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be delivered in the way that we want to. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to escape those dire things like Paul did, which was ultimately death. If we were to to believe uh, church history outside of the Bible, he lost his life very soon after this letter was delivered. But ultimately, he knew that the Lord was with him. You know, there are going to be times in which we find ourselves all alone. It's not so much on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night when we can be together and we have one another. But how many instances are there in life because of your faith and what this word says that you find yourself feeling all alone. But what scripture would tell us through the example of Paul is that God will always be with you. Jesus, as he's up on the cloud leaving this earth, says, I'm going to be with you always. And through the writer of Hebrews, he says, I'll never forsake you or leave you. And so as Paul shows us and demonstrates in this text, you can face the future, whatever there is, with confidence and without fear, because you're never, ever going to be alone. He'll be with you. You know, it's probably a really strange way to say this, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying, but I'm looking forward to the day in which my life on this earth is done. Don't read into that. I don't want to say goodbye to friends and family and my brethren. And I want to be as useful to the cause of Christ, as useful as I can be for as long as I can be. But I look forward to that day. There's a sense in which I long for it. And perhaps that's something that really makes us uncomfortable, but isn't that what the Apostle Paul is saying? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. For I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Oh, to develop the spiritual acuity, to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, if you give me a choice, that's what I choose. How can I face death? 
the future and all of its unknowns, not just tolerating it, but with confidence and without fear. All I need to do is look at the example of Paul. Paul could face whatever lie ahead because he knew that Jesus was going to be his judge and Jesus would not get it wrong because he had spent his life to the best of his ability like Jesus did, Acts 10, verse 38, doing good. Because he knew that whatever else stood between that part of his life and the end of his life, that there was a crown waiting. And even though he had already been through moments and might go through some more in which he felt all alone from an earthly perspective, he knew that the Lord would be with him. And all four of those things are true for you and me. As faithful children of God, we can face whatever's to come You know, Solomon said in Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Do not boast yourself about tomorrow because you do not know what a day will bring forth. Man, haven't we enjoyed such a sustained period of prosperity where things have gone so well for us and maybe in our individual lives. We've never been through any great crises like we spoke about in Matthew chapter 8 today. But none of us knows what lies ahead. And yet none of us has to fear what lies ahead. If we have lived and are living our life prepared for that day. We're going to sing a song of invitation as we always do. It's an encouragement to you if you don't feel prepared to stand before our great Lord who's going to be consummately fair. We want His mercy. We want His blood. We want His grace. That means for us, if we've not yet obeyed the gospel, we need to act on our faith, repent of our sins, and be baptized. The baptistry is ready. We would love to help you if you're ready to make that decision tonight. If you're a child of God that needs prayers, that needs to ask for forgiveness, that needs strength, that needs encouragement, then we can help you with that. We'd love to right now as we stand and sing.